Good. All right. Well, good morning, church. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for all the feedback. Um, But I am really excited to be here, and I'm very honored to be here, uh, that I got to share in the Word with you this morning. Um, for me, it's kind of like getting a gift that's really pre- uh, precious and beautiful. You just want to share it with everybody. You just get really giddy. Um, so before I get too excited, um, let's just get into the Word, uh, because we have a limited amount of time. So let's open our Bibles, if you have one. I hope you do. Uh, we'll start where we left off last week in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 uh, to 21. And so this is what it says. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay, let's go home. I'm kidding. Uh, But that passage is actually so powerful and so good. I encourage you to uh, read it over and over, let it soak, uh, memorize it, uh, because there's so much in there. But as we go into the passage this week, uh, I encourage you to just be mindful of this passage here. So this week we're uh, looking into Ephesians chapter 4. And so the first thing it says is, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received as a prisoner for the Lord. I love that. And the writer here is actually a prisoner. And at first I thought, well, what does prisoner actually really mean? Because often pastors and preachers come up and say, well, guess what? I looked into the word and this crazy moment happens where the Greek is a different translation and we have this profound moment. So I looked and I checked and I looked into my concordance and number 1300, the translation is decimos in Greek. And I thought very academic, I'm like really smart. But when I looked at it, it says prisoner. (laughs) (laughs) And just for emphasis, it says one under arrest prisoner. So it definitely wasn't as cool as I thought. (laughs) But it struck me, uh, it struck me that he was actually a prisoner. And he was put in prison because of his commitment to the Lord. He was a prisoner for the Lord. And maybe he didn't know what that meant exactly at that time. Maybe prison seems limiting. And really, I had a chance this year uh, to visit a couple different prisons over the world, uh, around the world. Um, And you really don't have the freedom to do what you want to do when you want to do them. So prison seems like not a fitting place if you want to be uh, spreading the gospel, spreading the good news, uh, and doing what you want to do. And it's really not a fun place either. Uh, two years ago, I was visiting the, the Milton prison up in Milton, I guess. Um, and I got to see uh, prisons in Malawi this year. And I was also working, uh, actually painting and stuff, in a prison in Greece uh, in June. And all these things had something in common, is that it's, no, it's not a fun place. Uh, you don't want to be there. It's, it's tough. Uh, heightened uh, emotions. Uh, you just really can't do what you want to do. So, again, it's just not a good spot to be in. But the writer does two things, and he follows the two things in mind. Uh, number one is his call. In Acts chapter 9, you can read this, but it says, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And that's the call that Paul had from God. 
And so he followed his call. And by faith in God, who is able to do immeasurably more. When God said, go do this for me, he probably didn't think that he was going to land in prison, but he was so committed to the call that he had in his life, he was so committed to the, his faith that he had, that he still went and became a prisoner for the Lord. And God is not sugarcoat either, because in the next passage in chapter 9, um, he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Like, what a call. What an asking to be a prisoner, to be captivated, uh, to be captive for someone else, not have the freedom, and yet he went. And in the midst of following Jesus, Paul becomes a prisoner for the Lord. And that seems like not a good ending. But when we look back on this today, we know how much Paul meant to the church throughout the world. And in hindsight, he was an incredible instrument in the growth of the Christian faith. Like, we're still talking about it today. 2,000-some-odd years later, we're still talking about this guy who went to prison for the Lord. And that made an impact throughout the world and throughout all generations. And year after year, people talk about how incredible this guy was because of his faith in the call that he had in his life. But in that moment, I don't know if Paul actually knew the impact that he would have for the Lord as he sat in, their, in the prisons. Yet, here he is in Ephesus for the Lord in prison. And from in that spot, he urges us to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Wow. So my first question to you is, what is God calling you to today? Not only in the grand scheme of things or in the future, but now. In your particular circumstance, in your particular situation, in this exact moment, what is God calling you to today? In the fall of 2015, uh, I was in prayer, and God said to me, come and follow me. And I said, Jesus, like, what do you mean by that? And he said, come and follow me. And I said, God, what does that actually mean? Can you, like, tell me a little bit more? And he just came back at me and said, come and follow me. I said, that doesn't help. <laughs> so what do you want me to do exactly? And he said, clear your schedule. I said, okay. But my schedule's full of things that are good, whether that's being on the worship team at church, maybe they're having a Bible study with non-believers, maybe working with small groups. I felt that these are good things for the Lord, but he said, clear those things. I said, I hesitantly said, okay. And that winter, I went to a conference called Urbana, and three things came out of that. Number one was a sense of affirmation. Jesus said to me, you actually have good thoughts. What your heart desires, I desire. You're in tune with me. And that felt really good. But the second was a sense of conviction. He said, you don't actually speak enough. You're too afraid of what people might say or the relationships that you might put attention in. And you actually don't say the things that you are actually feeling and thinking. And so there was a sense of conviction from that. And the third thing was, again, Jesus said, come and follow me. So I said, yes. Now, I didn't know where I was going. I had no idea what it would be. And when people said, hey, where are you going? I said, I don't know. I haven't heard. And that was hard because you want to tell them all the things that you're going to do and all the crazy adventures that you're going to go on. But 
I had no idea. But I, one thing I did know was that Jesus was calling me, and I wanted to be obedient to that. And that can be very scary. In fact, for me, being up here today with you is actually a part of that. He asked me to speak. And my reaction was like that of Moses. I said, well, Jesus, I don't know if I can do that. Look at that guy over there. He's so good at it. That person does it all the time. What if there's lots of criticism? What if I stumble on my words? What if I fall on the stage? All these little fears that were within my head, they try to put a block on what I was doing. But my desire to be obedient to Christ was above that. It became a priority. And in fact, I asked the Lord, what do I speak about? And he said, I want you to speak my words. And in that moment, he gave me an image of a speaker. And I said, why? And the Lord said, I want you to be a speaker. Okay. And when I thought about that, I recognized that speakers, they don't do anything original. They actually just amplify whatever the source has for it. They just say it louder and amplify what the source is outputting. And so the Lord said, you know what? You don't actually have to say anything special. You don't have to come up with anything. I just want you to plug into that source and amplify it. And that gave me a sense of assurance because I knew that it wasn't me, but it was the Lord. And so it wasn't anything special, but it meant that I would have to speak a little bit louder than I normally would. And this past year, I got to go in different places and speak and play worship in different contexts, whether that was in Hawaii or Malawi or in Greece or, in fact, here in Canada. And that's the calling that I'm trying to live into, even though I don't exactly know where he's taking me. But that's just me taking one small step towards what God is asking me to do. And just in case you are already making up excuses in your own head and those can be quite legitimate, but let me remind you that we are actually called to unity. And I once saw a, a poster up uh, by Lake Superior, and it said, comparison is a thief of joy. And so I'm not here to compete and tell you that I'm better. All I'm doing is I'm saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow his call and play my part. But the question to you, again, is what is God calling you today? What does he have for you? Because this is what, I, what he had for me, but it's not going to be the same. Anyway, um, again, we, that's only just a little bit. That's the first verse, so we don't won't have enough time. So let's get through the other 15. Um, but I believe that this is really exciting. I told you, it's like a little gift. I just want to talk all about it. Uh, but let's get to verse 2. Uh, it says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort and, uh, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'm just going to stop there because I like that, the bond of peace. Uh, first, I thought about James Bond, and I recognize that's not what he's talking about. Um, number two, I thought about bond in the sense of uh, something that's uh, a fastener, a cohesive thing, where like a glue, it bonds thing. That's, this peace actually bonds us together despite our differences. Another thing I thought about was um, the idea 
a bond as like a financial thing that you invest something into, and hopefully you get a return, but not always. You don't always get something back, but you're, it's something you have that you're able to, to give. Um, so I kind of like that there. And also, uh, the last t- term I thought about was the bond in terms of a servant, so someone who serves uh, for peace. And I wonder if that's something that, uh, that could be good for us if we became uh, servants of peace who offer peace, and who are able to connect and unite uh, together with people because of peace. But uh, keep, let's keep going. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, um, all in all. Um, in case that wasn't clear, uh, God desires unity. There's one God, and he's above all. Uh, but he desired us to be together. And verses uh, 7 to 8, actually, I'm not going to read it, but it helps us understand that Christ is in all. And at the end it says, in order to fill the whole, whole universe. And we actually see this in the prayer uh, by Jesus in John chapter 17, where he says that all of them may be one. So God really desires unity. And I once heard that uh, unity requires diversity, otherwise it's uniformity. And really, it wouldn't be practical if all the parts were the same. Um, boring words from 1 Corinthians, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. I mean, first of all, I thought to myself, how can the eye speak if it doesn't have a mouth? Um, but imagine that. Like, how silly would that actually look like? And if I was a hand, and next time something is in the eye, I'd be like, no way, I'm not going to help you. You told me you don't need me. And that would be irritating because there'll be still things stuck in the eye. Uh, verse 17 in 1 Corinthians uh, talks about, uh, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? But it says, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So it's really important and it's really vital that we play our Christ-apportioned roles. It says in verse 11 to 12 that, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the work of the service so the body of Christ may be built up. Now, two things. One, it's, this isn't an exhaustive list. It doesn't list every part of the body. If he did, that would be a long list. Um, there are more parts of the body. It's just not mentioned here. And two is that these particular parts are called to equip his people for the works of service to be built up. Well, till, till when? When do we keep doing this? And verse 13 says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Well, why? Why would we want to build each other up? Why do we want to be united so much and grow together? And verse 14 says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, that we will no longer be infants. Now, on a day-to-day basis, I get to work with kids, which is awesome because they're fun and hilarious and they do things and say things that are, are, are funny. Um, I'm sure you get to see that if you uh, deal with kids as well. But there's a correlation between kids and maturity. I think it's really cute when a kid asks me to tie the shoelaces, or I think it's cute when they can't put on their zippers. Um, But 
that's at first. When they keep repeating after, year after year, well, it kind of gets a little annoying, to be honest. And if they're 17 and 18, and they're still asking me to zip up their coats, that's kind of odd. And, you know, I used to live with uh, a couple kids, and they were being potty trained at that point. And so, like, when they used the potty properly, the parents were so ecstatic, like, way to go, that was awesome, that's amazing. And then the kid is, like, really excited. But if they're 25 and they're asking how to be potty trained, well, that's kind of weird. Um, or if, you know, kids are scared by the rain and they come snuggling up to you at nighttime because they're scared, and it's like, oh, that's cute, I'll let it go. But if a grown man came and did that, that's kind of <laughs> weird, right? And so the truth about growing is that there is a process to it. And so my second question to you in that is, where are you in your spiritual growth? or your spiritual maturity? Are you still a newborn, not knowing what to do and how to deal with the world? Are you a toddler learning to walk in the Lord? Are you in your teens ready to take on the world, or are you just this wise guru, uh, never phased by a single thing? Um, that's actually just a picture of me over the years. Um, again, that's me as a baby. Um, when I couldn't do very much, very many things, I still can't talk. Um, and that's me more modern day. Uh, but that's just to show you, where are you? And there's no condemnation in that. No one's going to say to you, you're a toddler. I can't believe you're a toddler. You can't even tie your own shoelaces? No one's going to say that. They're, they're at that age. Right? Um, but I just want you to have an honest conversation with yourself, wherever you are. Maybe you're new to faith, and you don't know a thing. And you have to rely on other people. You have to rely on people. And that's okay. Maybe you, you are further in faith, you're mature, and you're able to offer help to those who need it. But it's not a comparison. And there's no condemnation in Christ. So if you feel like a sense of condemnation or shame, like I'm not where I'm supposed to be at, I believe that's not from Christ because he's not about that. In Romans, it talks about uh, his kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say shame or condemnation. So I just want you to have an honest conversation with yourself as you identify where you are in your walk with Christ, where you are in that growth process, and how are you growing, and where are you investing your time and efforts? Because for the little kids that I get to hang out with, them learning double-digit math is incredibly difficult, but it's where they're supposed to be. It's hard for them. But I don't say, oh, I can't believe you can't do it. It's that stage of their lives. Right? Sometimes they don't know how to put on their jackets properly. And that's okay, because that's where they are. But when they grow older, my hope is that they would become better at those things, and they could become independent in those things. And the truth is, some of us grow old, but don't grow up. And I like how the message put this passage uh, in terms of maturity, it says, no prolonged infancies among us, please. And so expectations change with age, and that's just the reality of trust and capability. So when you think about an earthly relationship between a father and, son, and, a father and a son, initially it's one-sided. Dad takes the kids to you know, this, dad does this for the kid, dad does that for the kid. But eventually that shifts, and eventually you can actually become partners. So maybe... Uh, you know, at first you're teaching your kid how to, how to fish. 
and you're teaching them how to hold a rod, how to, you know, cast a whatever. I'm not good at fishing. Um, uh, how to catch a fish and how to, you know, like pull it off the, pull it off the little hook thing. I don't know. Um, so maybe you're teaching them all that. Maybe I need to be taught all that too. But by the end, hopefully over years and years and years of practice and years of growth, that you can actually just say, hey, let's go fishing. And you just go together. And it's this incredible time together that you have with your son. And so they grow independent. And so what if our relationship with our father was similar? What if he wanted to show you the depths of his heart? What if he actually wanted to trust you with many things? Because I've learned that when I was a, when I was a kid, I can't understand incredibly theological conversations. I was just told that Jesus loves me. And that's what I had. That's what I knew. As I grew older, I studied more things, and I understood different ways of theology. But at that point, I, I couldn't understand. But what if he actually wants to show you his love to the fullest extent? But that requires your growth. That requires your maturity. And what if what you're going through, maybe perceived as silence, is letting you into the rich fullness of his love? And two things. Number one, you are called to something. And that's a conversation between you and our Father in heaven. I can't tell you what that is, unfortunately. That's a conversation that you need to have with your dad. And the second is that we need you. The body needs you. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse, four, uh, uh, chapter four, verse 16, it says, from, his, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does the work. Now, here's the tough part. Growth takes time. Of course, like in Christ, nothing is impossible, but the process is actually important. I uh, showed you the picture of myself in four different stages earlier, but, I mean, you wouldn't be able to see all that cuteness if you just jumped from baby to maturity, right? And so... It takes time. I have here, actually, a little dirt here with a little seed in it here. Okay? I'm going to plant it. And I'm going to take water because we're supposed to take water. I learned that in grade three. Now, no one here is going to say, I can't believe it. It didn't grow. It's not, it's not working. Why, why is it not working? It's supposed to be a big tree, right? No one really says that because you understand the process of growth, that things do take time. Now, what if I just quit and stopped watering the seed? What if I stopped attending to it and taking care of it? Well, it's not going to grow. But I think our expectation is sometimes uh, like the Internet. It's got to be fast speed, and if something doesn't happen on the first click, within the first three seconds, we get frustrated. But I think in terms of growth in our spirituality, yes, God can do the impossible. But I think for most of us, we just have to water every single day. And eventually, something happens. Because even in the first bits of a seed, we don't see anything on the surface. But it's doing something. It's planting roots. It's establishing itself. 
And then eventually this little leaf comes up. And then you see a little product of that. But that takes time. Even with the fastest growing plants, it takes a week, two weeks, three weeks before that happens. And I wonder if our expectation of our growth with the Lord needs patience. Because I think that our expectations are so uh, demanding and, lack of better words, aggressive, even though everything just takes more time. And so last week we saw a picture of a tree, and I think the tree is a good representation of what growing does look like. It goes through the seasons, right? And in Canada, we're fortunate to see all these uh, beautiful sceneries, whether that's in the summer or in the fall or the winter or the spring. And in the winter, actually, the trees actually look like they're kind of dead. They don't have leaves. It's not as pretty. But the truth is, it's actually rooting itself, and it's establishing itself, and it's preparing itself for spring to bring life. And when I look at a tree, I can't determine that it's growing because I don't see it moving so fast. But when I come back 10 years, 20 years, I recognize that this tree actually did grow. Whoa, that tree is really tall. Remember that? And I think that happens with, a lot with kids, too. When you don't see them often, it's like, whoa, you've grown up so much. And it's a really neat process. And I think our spiritual, uh, spiritual growth is like that. But what's important in all of this is that we're all growing and that we're progressing. And so my question to you in that is, what are you doing today to nurture this growth? For the Lord, for the church, for unity. What small steps are you taking towards him? Who is our unifying agent? Because he's called you to something. It could be anything. Like Paul was called to be a prisoner at that point in his life. It could be anything. But what small steps are you taking today, now, because God has something for you? And it does take time. But if we all do that together, well, the body is going to be full and alive, and it's going to grow together. But we all need your, you to play your part because we need that kind of diversity for the, the body to grow. And when you grow in him, in your calling, in your faith, that's when the body thrives. That's when the, body, the body's functionality at its finest and it builds itself in love as each part does the work. And so in Christ, we are united as his body. And I believe that these elements up front here is a good example that helps us recognize this. Now, when I was a kid, uh, having dinner together was a priority for my family. So... Uh, that was just an important, important time for us. And so I usually come home from playing with my friends and doing something. And then my mom was probably cooking at that point. Um, and my sisters were probably finishing up their homework because uh, they were much more responsible than I. But whatever we were doing and wherever we were coming from, we came together at the table for dinner. And this bread here is the body of Christ. And this juice here represents the blood of Christ. And we call it communion. And I like that word because to me, 
when we come together to celebrate communion, it's our common union. That we have one unifying factor. If we are completely different in all aspects of our lives, we still have one unifying factor, and that's Jesus. And this is his body broken for us, and his blood shed for us, all of us. And wherever we are coming from today, and whatever we're feeling at this moment, this is a reminder that in Christ, we are actually indeed family. And in Christ, we are saved, and in Christ, we are loved. In his death, resurrection, and ascension, we are together. And so this is a reminder of that truth, that we are together in this as a family, and that this is one factor that unites us together as a body, wherever you are. And so just as I used to gather together with my family for dinner and come together at the table for a meal, uh, I'd encourage you to come together with us and to take and celebrate. Now, if you're already part of this family, uh, I invite you to commune with us. And the bread and juice will be at the tables, in, two in the front, I think three in the back. Uh, and please take them when you're ready. Now, if you're not part of that family, I'd still encourage you. Um, you're invited. Uh, Jesus, our head, invites you to come and join uh, because that's what he desires, that you come to him and join us in this family. And just to remind for those who don't feel like taking it or they're just not, they're not ready, um, there's no condemnation in that. Uh, Christ has no condemnation in that. Uh, he's waiting for you. Uh, he desires you. But he, he gives you that choice. Um, so again, I said before, if there's any sense of shame or condemnation, that's not from God. He doesn't do that. And so, uh, brothers and sisters, as family, um, let me pray and let us come together uh, in unity uh, to take his uh, body and blood uh, shed for us together. So let me pray.